This message was recorded live at Life Church Lancashire, a contemporary Christian church in the north of England. Learn more at lifelanks.org. We continue with our series, Others, and uh, if you've been keeping count, this is part five. There's two of you been keeping count. <laughs> Excellent. Thanks a lot. Um, <laughs> Now, so we're talking about our responsibility and our privilege to reach out to others, to share with other people the great things that God has done for us. It's not supposed to keep, we're not supposed to keep it to ourselves. We're supposed to pass on the message and talk with enthusiasm about how great God is and what God's doing with his church. And that enthusiasm is infectious and people kind of catch and learn about what God's doing. So I'm excited about that and we're getting equipped, we're getting challenged, we're getting helped to do that. So I would today want to talk a little bit about how do you handle um, when people come to you with questions. And so how do you handle that? If you, you know, people have kind of got a genuine question and you want to kind of explain it, but how do you kind of figure out who's got a genuine question and who's just out for an, an argument? Who wants a, a heated debate? Who wants to really sort of kind of bring something as an argument like that? Or who wants to be it give you something that's real and they want a proper conversation with you. So you come with questions like, you know, well, how, if there is a God, how could God allow horrible things to happen? Why does bad things happen to good people? What about earthquakes? What about the tsunami? What about uh, the refugee crisis? What about the famine? If there's a God, why would he allow those kind of things to happen? Those are the kind of questions you get maybe some controversial topics, and that changes from year to year. You could probably think about what is that like the hot subject at the moment. The, the, the TV's dominated with the refugee crisis, other things happening, hot topics we get asked questions about. When people see things like the horrible things that, that ISIS are doing across the world, they see that and say, well, actually, they're doing it in the name of God. So the answer would be to ban all religions. Wars are started because of religions. This is what people say. And so, so the answer is to ban all religions. So there wouldn't be any fighting in the world. Well, that's an interesting argument, but what about Stalin, one of the biggest mass murderers of all time, murdered millions of people, and he was an atheist. So it would have to ban atheism as well as religion. So would that, would that actually work? Well, of course, the truth is not all atheists are bad and not all Christians are bad. But some people use their ideology to do bad things to people. But the answer to that is as Christians that we show the love of God to people. We demonstrate what Christianity is really like. That's the answer to those kind of questions. You probably have experienced those kind of questions. You've been asked those kind of questions. You might even be now kind of grappling or, or, or kind of struggling with some of those kind of questions yourself. Okay, I want to believe in God, but there's this and there's that going on. Why would a loving God allow this and allow that? Well, actually, I can recommend the Alpha course is a great way to find out about what God is actually saying, about answering some of those questions. And that starts at the end of this month, information at reception. I could highly, highly recommend that. But we are learning from the encounter 
encounters that Jesus had with others, with other people, and we are learning from those encounters how we can be when we discuss with people, when people come wanting a debate, perhaps wanting an argument, but a genuine question very often. You were one of those people once. Have you thought about that? You were the kind of person who was kind of... And I actually believe that many people are looking for some answers. And we've got the answers. There are big questions. There's things we can't explain. There's things we can't give answer to. But we have those answers. So we're learning from how Jesus did this. How he worked with different kinds of people in different kinds of situations. So I'm going to read several verses from uh, the Bible, from Mark chapter 12. There's a, it's a chunk of the Bible, but if you're hungry, that'll be okay. Is anybody hungry? Yeah. Starving. Come on, let's really have an appetite for the Word of God. So we're going to read from Mark chapter 12. It will be on the screen. You can follow it in your paper Bible, on your device, whatever you happen to have the Bible on. So here it was. Jesus was being asked questions. And the first one here in verse 13. Later they sent some of the Pharisees and Herodians. Pharisees were religious leaders. Herodians were people who supported the king. They were kind of with this particular guide to Jesus to catch him in his words. They came to him and said, teacher, we know that you are a man of integrity. You aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are, but you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? Should we pay or shouldn't we? But Jesus knew their hypocrisy. Why are you trying to trap me, he asked. Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. They brought the coin and he asked them, Whose image is this and whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Then Jesus said to them, Give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. And they were amazed at him. Second question. Then the Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, came to him with a question. Teacher, they said, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife but no children, the man must marry the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. Now there were seven brothers. The first one married and died without leaving any children. The second one married the widow, but he also died leaving no child. It was the same for the third. In fact, none of the seven left any children. Last of all, the woman died. This kind of kind of a weird sort of um, question that kind of wouldn't, wouldn't ever happen, but they kind of were trying to trap him with it. At the resurrection, whose wife will she be since the seven were married to her? Jesus replied, are you not in error because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God? When the dead rise, they will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like the angels in heaven in that respect. Now, about the dead rising, have you not read in the book of Moses, in the account of the burning bush, how God said to him, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. You are badly mistaken. Third question. Still with it? Yeah. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Notice that Jesus had given them a good answer. He asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, Jesus answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Well said, Jesus said, teacher, the man replied. You are right in saying that God is one and there is no other but him. To love him with all your heart and with all your understanding and with 
with all your strength and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. From then on, no one dared ask him any more questions. Three questions. Now Jesus flips it just at the end, last couple of verses, and he is now asking the question. While Jesus was teaching in the temple courts, he asked, Why do the teachers of the law say that the Messiah is the son of David? David himself, speaking by the Holy Spirit, under inspiration, declared, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put my enemies under your feet. David himself calls him Lord. How then can he be his son? The large crowd listened to him with delight. Chunk of scripture, worth reading again at least once to get your head around it. But I wanted to read the whole thing so we can see that there are different kind of questions at different, time, at different times. Different circumstances that you might be in make certain questions pop up. Different things that are happening in the news might then create a question that you might be asked in the office, in the factory, or wherever you are this week. So these kind of things happen, and we can be prepared to give a reasonable answer to the kind of things that are happening in this world. As I've already said, we don't have all the answers. We know the person who is the answer. But uh, we ha- we, it's not good enough, in my opinion, just to say, well, the Bible says. We need to be able to have some level of explanation and understanding so we can have a reasonable discussion with somebody. But what we do also need to be able to do is, what's behind the question that's being asked us? Is someone looking for an argument? Is someone just wanting a, uh, a debate? Or is someone genuinely looking for some answers and being able to read that situation? We're not Jesus. We don't see everything, but I believe God can give us the discernment and the wisdom in those circumstances to see what the question really is, what's behind the question, and how we can answer that. So there were four questions. There was the questions about politics and authority. Now, politics is a sure way to get people to have divided opinions. So you may be interested or not interested in politics, but when it comes to the things of God, we don't want to get party political on people. That's not going to go anywhere because we all have a fixed view, or most of us perhaps have a fixed view. So he was, this question was an absolute trap, okay? So then the second question, which was also a trap, was a question about the Bible. The Sadducees were asking Jesus a question about the Bible because they were trying to make his teaching look inconsistent with what the Bible actually said. So when we're having a debate, a discussion, we need to have as good an understanding of the Word of God as we possibly can. Third question was a genuine question about the Jewish law. Fourth question, Jesus' initiative, he threw it back at them to consider who he is. Because the biggest question, the nooks, the crooks of the matter, the absolute center of what we need to get to is who is Jesus. Without knowing who Jesus is, without accepting Jesus as your savior, everything else is just kind of, just kind of other stuff. That is the center of what we need to get to. So some wanted to trap him. And Jesus challenges their hypocrisy based on Scripture. Some were generally wanting to ask questions because they wanted some answers. So we, as Christians, reaching out to others, seeking to influence, seeking to help people, seeking to bless people, seeking to win 
people for the kingdom, we need to have an understanding of what's behind the question. Is it a genuine question? Is it something that's just a distraction, someone looking to cause us a bit of hassle? So thinking about how Jesus approached different ones in different ways. Have you ever got halfway through an answer to a question and realized you're not answer, actually asking, answering the question someone's asked? And so we need to have some discernment. It's a bit like the old story about the little boy who came running in after playing one day. He says, Mummy, 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 where do I come from? And his mum thinking, oh no, I thought he was going to be older before we had to have this discussion. And she said, no, no, don't worry about it. I'll tell you when you're older. No, no, Mummy, Mummy, where do I come from? And she's thinking, I thought Dad was going to have this conversation. And so in the end, she was just so exasperated and so worn down, as kids can do that to us. And she was so worn down, she's started to tell him the story about the birds and the bees and where babies come from. And there's some young people here, so we won't go into any more detail. But where babies came from, and she gave him the full talk. And then he went and said, oh, thank you, because my mate said he was from Leeds. <laughs> so you're answering a question that wasn't asked. Have you ever been in that situation? So we need some discernment to know what the question actually is so that we can give the right kind of answer. Ask yourself, is it a genuine question or are they looking for an argument? So let's look briefly at these four questions. So number one, the first question was a question about authority. Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar? Now, Pete helped us with this last week because he told us a story about Levi, Matthew, the tax collector. Pete told us how the uh, Jews, the people of Israel, resented very much the fact that they were under Roman uh, government. They resented the fact that they actually had to pay taxes to this power that was dominating them, that was controlling them. They gave them very little liberty. They resented that. So, Everybody, this is the context, everybody resented the fact that it paid taxes pretty much as they do today, but even more so then because they didn't like the idea what these, this money was used for. So this was the context because they thought that giving a tax to Caesar was almost kind of blasphemous because he claimed to be, a, claimed to be God. So it was like blasphemous or it was kind of idolatry to pay him the tax. That's what they were thinking at that time. Now, if he says, no, don't pay your taxes, yeah, the crowd's cheering, but he's, he quickly get himself into, uh, into trouble with the Roman authorities. So, if he says yes, if he says no, have you ever been in that kind of situation? You've been asked a question about the things of God or about something that's happening in the world, and you think, well, this is a no-win situation for me, because whatever I say is not going to kind of be the right answer. Well, Jesus was in such a question. So, but his answer was brilliant. He said he knew their hypocrisy. Now, it's interesting. Why is that a hip- Why were they being hypocritical asking that question? Well, because Jesus knew that they had a denarius. Can we have a picture of that, please? They had a denarius in their pocket. So they would just pull out, this is is a pound coin, but they would just pull that out of their pocket. So the people asking the question were actually using that money that kind of was imposed upon them by this foreign power. They were using the money to spend and uh, pay the bills and buy food or, or whatever it was 
that they, that they did. But what bothered them was the fact it was a picture of Tiberius Caesar on that coin. And it was called paying tribute. So taxes were called paying tribute. So you just think about that terminology, how that was to fail to somebody who was uh, a Jew, somebody who, whose ultimate authority was God, that they were having to give tribute to somebody else who claimed to be a God. You can imagine the problem that they had with that. Now, for us, we have uh, in England, in Great Britain, we have the pound coin. So, on the pound coin, we have a picture, uh, and I've got one of these in my pocket. I think we might have. There you go. Her Majesty the Queen. God bless her. Congratulations on being the longest serving uh, monarch in history. So, this is um, Her Majesty the Queen. So, we understand that the pound coin in England, or or our money, we've got an image of the Queen. So, the Queen, with little real power, I guess, but still we consider her to be head of state and respect her as, as someone in authority, which the Bible clearly tells us to do. Now, but for the, um, the Jews, the coin had the picture of Tiberius Caesar. Now, on the edge of our pound coin, you may or may not have, uh, be aware, aware of this, and uh, my Latin is rubbish, right? My Latin pronunciation is rubbish, or it might be phenomenal. But I, I did go to a grammar school, but they stopped teaching Latin by the time I got there. So uh, you may have great pronunciation of this, but on, on the edge, it says, Decus et Tutaman, which is nothing like it should sound, but you get the picture. That's what it says. Now, what does that mean? Does anybody know what that means? I won't ask you because it's one person, but we won't be able to hear him, so I'll tell you. It means an ornament and a safeguard. So what it basically means is that is written around the coin which, which helps it stop being chipped. That's what it means. It's an ornament. If it was just clay, if it was just plain, it would be chipped. But they put have this around to stop it being chipped. Now, on, on the uh, denarius, it says something quite different. On, on the coin of the denarius, it says, Tiberius, son of the divine. So when they were looking at that coin, they saw a picture of someone who claimed to be God. And then it was reinforced by what was written around the coin, which said, Son of Divine. So you can see that the struggle that the Jews at this time would have with paying their taxes using that particular coin, Tiberius, Son of God. So they had this big dilemma. So whatever Jesus answered, he couldn't get it right. But he said this, he says, Give back to Caesar, verse 17, what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. That was his punchline. Give Caesar what he deserves, which is the taxes, because like us, we are subject, we're citizens of a, of a nation, and so we're subject to the rules and, and regulations and the laws of that nation, so we have to pay our taxes whether we like it or not. It's better to pay up and smile than argue about it because the consequences. So, no, we, we have responsibilities. But as Christians, we're not just citizens of this earth or this United Kingdom or the European Union. We're not just citizens of that. We are citizens of another kingdom. So we have dual citizenship, and ultimately our, our, um, our, our responsibility is to 
God shall give to Caesar what he deserves, but gives to God what he deserves. What does God deserve from us? Devotion, and he deserves our exclusive worship. So that's what Jesus was illustrating. Guys, you know, we have responsibilities on earth, but let's remember heavenly responsibilities. So he flipped the whole question around and brought it back to what actually really matters. The coin was bearing the, the emperor's image, so he should get it back. But we bear the image of God. We were created in his image, so we belong to him. So he deserves our devotion. He deserves our exclusive worship. If you look in the mirror, you might like what you see, or you might not like what you see, but the truth is God thinks you're fantastic. You're awesome. You were created in his image. And so, you know, that should make you stand up and put your shoulders back and think, hey, I'm not special to God. I'm created in the image of God. We all look, physically we look different, but we are created in the image of God. So we have responsibility to do that. These guys were trying to trap Jesus in this like little riddle. But you know, it says in Proverbs 26, don't answer a fool according to his folly. So if someone's trying to give you a a question, which is taking you off on a blind alley and taking you off into just a controversial situation, get it back to what really matters talking about Jesus. Think about how are they, why are they asking the question? And you know, very often when people ask us questions about suffering in the world, it's probably almost certainly because they have personal experience of suffering. So don't give a philosophical argument back to somebody. Speak to the person, not the pain. Speak with compassion into the situation to the person. Start to unpack and talk about how much God loves them, how much God cares for them. Rather than having this kind of debate about this philosophical question, get it back to what really matters and how that God loves them, how God cares for them, and so on. Treat it, don't treat a personal issue as something that's just kind of a general question. There could be pain behind that. So that was the first question, a question of authority. The second question is a question of theology or doctrine. So this question was about, they were saying, okay, there's this hypothetical situation. There's this woman whose husband dies, with no children, seven brothers, seven brides, no, Seven brothers for one bride, kind of, someone's used that other one, I think. But hypothetical even question, she was ask, they were asking him. It was just kind of a made-up riddle to try and trap him again. But you know, this question had nothing to do with about, about marriage. It had nothing to do with family relations. It had everything to do about the resurrection. The fact that we believe that when we die, if we love God, if we serve God, if we put God first, we've asked him to be our Lord and Savior, that when we die, we will rise again and live forever with him. That's what we believe. But these lads, the Sadducees, didn't believe that. They believed the first five books of the Bible, called the Torah, the Old Testament, that's all they believed, the five books of Moses. So as far as they were concerned, Moses didn't talk about the resurrection. So why should they believe in the resurrection? But Jesus turned it round on them and showed them, actually, boys, you don't even really know the Bible. Because when God's speaking to God, uh, when God's speaking to Moses at the burning bush, he says, I'm the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He's the God of the living, not the dead. In essence, what God's saying at that time is, these guys have been and gone. They're no longer walking the earth, but they're still alive. And that's what the reality is for us. Because when we 
move from this life, we still continue to live. Christians live forever. It's not something we start over with, we finish with. No, we don't believe this is it. We believe that we're eternal beings in our spirit. We live forever in God's presence. We don't understand what all of that looks like, but God is the God of the living, not of the dead. And you just kind of turn that round about. And you know, sometimes people come with questions from the Bible. But, you know, very often those questions are born out of sometimes a prejudice or sometimes just a little bit of knowledge about a particular thing. So you might have been asked questions like, well, why do you eat, why do you eat prawns? Why do you eat shellfish? Because it says in the Bible we shouldn't eat shellfish. You get sort of crazy off, off, off a tangent you know, left-field, whatever, questions, which don't really mean a whole lot about anything, but we come back into the heart of what the Word of God is teaching us, and we can help people with with that. It was a question of doctrine or a question of theology, and Jesus answered it brilliantly. Have you really thought this through? And you know, we need to increase our Bible knowledge. If we're going to be able to answer questions and help people, we need to increase our Bible knowledge. Now, don't be intimidated by that and say, whoa, you know, I've just been coming a few weeks and I've just recently said I I want to be a Christian. I'm planning to get baptized next week. And, you know, I'm I'm kind of early on my journey. There's loads I don't know. Well, that's okay. Like me, like all of us, we're on a journey and trying to learn more about the things of God. So see that as an encouragement, a a challenge, but not an intimidation or a condemnation. We can learn more about the things of God. The third question, moving on, was was a question of focus. It was kind of also about theology and doctrine, but I've used that one, so I had to come up with something else. It was a question of focus, but it was a genuine question. He's a guy searching for answers. He'd heard the great answers that Jesus had given, and he said, fantastic, God, Jesus, can you, can you give me the answer that, that I need? And he said, you know, the Ten Commandments. And this guy obviously knew his Bible. He, he knew about the commandments. He said, well, which is the most important one? It was a genuine question. So Jesus saw this as a genuine question. And God will help us all to understand when people have got genuine questions, when they want to know about the things of God. So what do we do in that? Do we give them a full-on Bible debate and give them a pack of books like this? Read them. And so you'll have the same prejudice as me. No, that's not what we should do. We should begin to tell them our story. Begin to unpack what God has done for you. And, you know, you can help them, of course, with books. But just let us get into the Word of God and encourage people with what God has done for you. Tell them stories. Thursday night, I had uh, together our life group leaders. And I'm encouraging them. And I'll encourage you. We need all to come up with new stories. I thank God for what God's done for me over many years. But I believe I need some fresh stories. How do you get fresh stories about the goodness of God? You stick your neck out. You take faith steps. You speak to people. You start to share your faith. Yeah, thank God for what's in the past. But it's now and it's the future. The best is yet to come. As, as long as I'm breathing, I'm going to believe that. And so we need some new stories. How do you get new stories? Well, you need new experiences. We need to start reaching out and connecting with others and helping us. So this guy was genuine. He had a genuine question. And of course, Jesus said, well, the, the greatest commandment is to love God and to love your neighbor. 
And you know, that's the answer, isn't it? If we demonstrate that as Christians, if we live that out, the questions like, you know, why do, reli- why do religions allow this to happen and why these things happen in the name of religions, if we demonstrate what Christianity is supposed to be about, about loving God and loving people, not, not, a, not a list of prejudices or, or things that we're angry about, no, if we demonstrate what the love of God looks like in practical demonstration of that, in blessing people, in being compassionate with people, in helping people, in pointing people in the right direction. That's what it's all about. What's the most important thing in your life? Well, the the correct answer is God. But if we think about it, is that really what's going on right now in your life? Is he center? Is he heart and soul? Is he the center of everything? Is Is he like your priority? Is he everything? Because I found that what you what you focus on, what you think about a lot, you end up following. So if you're thinking about, well, I, you know, I want that new car or that new pair of shoes, and you kind of start to think about it a lot, don't you? I don't know if you're thinking about buying a particular car. Before you know it, when you start researching about that particular vehicle, it seems like every other car on the road is that car. You keep seeing them because you're focusing on it. You're kind of fixating on it. And what I've found over the years is how people drift away from God is when they start fixating on something else. It might be a problem. It might be an issue. It might be an offense. It might be something in their lives. It could be all sorts of loads of different reasons. But let's, guys, it's simple as this. The answer is to keep on focusing on God. Keep on focusing on Jesus. Let him be the center. Let him be your first thought. Let, go to him first before you try and figure it all out yourself. Don't do something stupid and then then just ask him to get you out of trouble. He, he will do, but let's try and be a bit smarter than that and start to live right for God and be a good example. What's the most important thing in your life? Our focus should be God and also others. The final question, question number four, was a question about identity. And Jesus is quoting them back to the scripture about something that David had said, about when David refers to the Messiah that was to come, and we believe that's Jesus, the Messiah, the, the, the Redeemer, though he was to come to give, give his life for our benefit. When they were focusing on that, when, when he was talking about, about, about that, he, he was wanting them to understand who he was. He said, David says, refers to the Messiah as Lord. Why would David call him Lord if he was just one of his descendants? So he was trying to illustrate to them, come on guys, you've got to realize who the Messiah is, who I actually am. Yes, I'm descended from the line of David from a biological point of view, because his mother Mary, of course, but understand who Jesus really is. He's not just a good man. He's not just another prophet. He's not just another religious leader. I am actually more than that. I am the Son of God. And that is the crux of it. The band would come and join me. That is the crux of the question, who Jesus is. And when, we, when we're debating with someone, when we're having a discussion with someone, it's as simple as that. When we're reaching out to others, we've got to bring it back to Jesus. We've got to bring it back to who Jesus really is. And when we talk about who he is to, to us... That is so incredibly, incredibly powerful. And that's the big question. Who is Jesus? It's actually the first week on Alpha, who is Jesus? That's a subject that we look, like, look at. So it's definitely worth doing if you've never done an Alpha course. 
Who is Jesus? But that's the question that it comes down to it. And who is he to me? Do I, is it, he's not just this historical figure. He's not just this kind of person who lived and died and did a lot of good things and that's great. And, you know, people still worship it. it it's who is he to me? Is he my Lord? Is he my Savior? Do I believe that? That is the question. Christians believe Jesus is God who became flesh, who lived amongst us, died a horrible death, rose again, and conquered death for us all. That's what we believe. He took our punishment. Punishment that I deserve, punishment that you deserve for the bad things, the rubbish that we've done, the mistakes we've made. Jesus took that on himself so that we can know the free forgiveness of God. And that's what it comes down to. You can have all sorts of debates with people about all sorts of different things, about Christianity, about faith, about theology, about doctrine. But when it comes down to it, who is Jesus? Jesus turned it round to who he actually was. I actually believe people are looking for answers. I actually believe that like many of us, we were waiting we, didn't, we couldn't have articulated. We didn't realize what we were looking for. We just believed there was something there. That we, but when someone introduced us to Jesus, we knew by revelation who he was. So I want us to believe as we invite people, as we connect with people over these next few weeks, people we bring along tonight, people we encourage into Alpha, bring next week to the baptism, etc., etc. I'm actually believing there are people out there who are waiting to be asked. There are people out there who just need someone like you, like me, to make that invitation to bring them into faith, who need to be one for God, not for, not for a church, not for an organization, but to be members of God's kingdom. I actually believe that people are waiting for that. So these others that we talk about are people like you and me who need God. Everyone's a sinner. Everyone needs a savior myself and everyone in this room included discover more about us at lifelanks.org and stay inspired by subscribing to the podcast via itunes thanks for listening